Welcome to Draft Utopia. Chris Ransom here. And I've got some news I'm going to report for today's Friday show. I'm not sure. I haven't really done any research on the news from yet, from today until yesterday. As far as the quad. Okay, now I do have some news. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins are leaning towards goalie Matt Murray as the starter. And the reason I'm reporting certain news, Capo Caco is expected to play in the qualifier as well. Yeah, I'm using the NHL, NFL, NBA, MLB, and MLS apps to find news that's interesting that I believe is worthy of intellectual discussion. That's pretty much how I get my news. There's nothing special to it, but NFL, it's like, okay, unless an injury happens or a player gets a contract extension or something big happens in the NFL, there's no NFL news going on right now. A rookie signs his contract, like officially signs his contract, and there's numbers and projections on the contract. There's really nothing to report. So, then NHL, there is some news. The Penguins are leaning towards Matt Murray over Tristan Jari for the qualifier against the Montreal Canadiens. I already said on Monday that we're going to find out what two cities are hosting the uh, hubs for the NHL playoffs. And they're leaning towards, um, I'm guessing it's going to be Vegas and Toronto. Because they won't, if Vegas is one of the locations, they want to have the Eastern Conference teams in Vegas and the Western Conference teams in in the other location. I'm guessing the other location they would pick is Toronto because to have hockey in Canada, to have all the Western Conference teams in that Canada region for the qualifier, I'm guessing that's how they would do it. And it'd be neutral site, social distancing would apply. And I don't know who hosts the Stanley Cup Finals. They might figure that out later. They might do best of seven with home ice. I think it would depend on a lot of variables. I still think the NHL is trying to sort that out, but I mean, they're going to have two hub sites, and the, those locations are going to be announced on Monday, but Matt Murray over Jari, I like Matt Murray better, I think that's a smart decision, The Athletic reported this week that Matt, Meyer is, Matt Murray is going to be the starting goalie. And The Athletic reported this, and The Athletic has Rob Rossi, so one of the best insiders in the NHL. If you're on The Athletic, I would definitely check out his stuff. Yeah, Mark Suba is his cousin, but that's not the point. Rob Rossi has excellent stuff in terms of Pittsburgh sports content. Better than pretty much anything on... 93.7 The Fan or KDKA outside of Pompeiani. Pompeiani's great, but I would I would rather pay to read Rob Rossi on The Athletic than listen to Rich Walsh. He's like, I mean, Walsh is talented. Don't get me wrong. He started at WPXI and had to earn the right to be Jory Rand's replacement. He's talented. And he did Skylights. Okay. But it's just something about him that reminds me of Andy Dalton. It's just mortifying. So, not going to comment any more on that, but the Penguins have Matt Murray, and Capo Caco is expected to play for the New York Rangers. He's been tested. He is a type 1 diabetic, but he's been tested. He's going to be in the lineup 
and he was the number two pick in the 2019 NHL draft, and he's been training in Finland. And the Rangers have had communication with him about his health. And Capo Caco had 23 points, 10 goals, 13 assists in 66 games. Getting him in this series against the Hurricanes is important because this is the first, like, playoff game. Everyone gets excited when you're a top three pick in the NHL. And this league is good. It showed some flashes. And the Rangers want to make him a focal point for their offense in the playoffs because they know that they're going to need him, they're going to need Lundqvist to carry this team as far as they can in order to do anything significant. So that's really the big question there. I talked about Troy Weaver going from the uh, former Pistons GM to he was actually the assistant GM of the Oklahoma City Thunder when they drafted Russell Westbrook. So yeah, this is the five-year anniversary of the Cavs winning their first championship. But Weaver, Evan Weaver is a great candidate. He was an assistant GM on the Thunder when they drafted Russell Westbrook. Now he's on the Pistons. And he has all that experience with the Thunder dating back to 2008. And that's really going to help a team like the Pistons that's in a rebuild. That I think he might actually turn the team around. But I don't want to get cocky or careless or over the top or too emotional about it because... You traded your best player, Andre Drummond. You still have Blake Griffin. You still have some talented guys. I mean, you don't have players that stand out. No MLB news as far as the sport goes. Okay, the MLB Players Association sent a counterproposal to Rob Manfred. They wanted 70 games with full prorated pay, and the MLB was willing to go up to 60 with full pay. But MLB rejected that, and it's like... I just don't think we're going to have baseball this year. Tournament details for the MLS. What's at season for the MLS tournament? Regular season points, the Champions League berth, and $1.1 million in prize money. So, winner earns a spot in the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. Pre-tournament draw to assign groups. Regular season will continue after the tournament. And the group stage counts towards the regular season standings. Because they're not going to be able to play that full 34 game season. They're not going to able air the full season. Yeah, and I feel like FX, FS1 and ESPN will have these um bracket challenges so this MLS tournament's going to be fun cuz you get 1.1 million in prize money the winning team gets 1.1 million in prize money and a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League usually that goes to the best regular season team the CONCACAF Champions League spot but since the regular season's been delayed by the coronavirus this FIFA World Cup style MLS tournament really big stakes on the line. Things just got real now. Okay, I'm going to break down my top five most exciting games for week three in the NFL season, just like yesterday. Give me a sec to load that, please. So we had fun yesterday doing that instead of just jumping into 
instead of just jumping into everything. Like, week one, I kind of rushed week one. All right, week three, top number, er, the early, week three, you see a lot of good late games and only one early game. And I kind of previewed that early game yesterday. That early game was Houston at Pittsburgh. And I know if Pittsburgh plays the Giants in week one, but I just don't think that's going to be an exciting game. I think even though the Giants drafted Andrew Thomas and they've got Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, a healthy Evan Ingram back, they don't have that number one receiver that commands respect, but they have Bradbury, a former number one corner, playing with DeAndre Baker. We don't know if Baker's going to get suspended yet because of the whole Baker had some off-the-field incident. I don't know if he got posted bail or what the deal was with that, but it was like a gun incident earlier in the offseason. I'm not sure what the details are, because if he gets suspended for that, the Steelers are going to win. This is going to be a blowout. And if he doesn't, and the Giants are able to play all their guys, they might make this game exciting for a while. I expect Pittsburgh to win, but the Giants might make that game exciting for a little bit. And you look at the Week 3 game, because Pittsburgh's schedule's no cakewalk. This is a rough schedule to begin the year. You get the Giants on Monday Night Football in New York. You get the Broncos at home, a team that I actually think has more, slightly more talent than the Steelers going to Heinz Field. And then the Steelers host the Houston Texans. This is a big game because, honestly, Pittsburgh could be 0-2 or 1-1. I don't think 2-0 is a guaranteed thing. Because if the Giants pull the upset and the Broncos win, we're looking at this game as a elimination game very early in the season. Because this is a must-win game for both teams this early in the year. The Texans, obviously, we mentioned yesterday, they have to face the Chiefs in Week One in Kansas City, and then they go to then they host Baltimore in their home opener, and then in Week Three they are going to play the Steelers at Heinz Field. J.J. Watt versus T.J. Watt. I think the last time. T.J. Watt faced the Texans. J.J. Watt was on injured reserve, wasn't playing in that game. We didn't really get to see the Watt brothers go up against each other head on. And they got the Subway commercial now, so now you're going to get to see the Watt brothers face each other. And the Texans extended Laramie Tunsil. And the Texans have a very good offensive line. I'm talking Max Sharping at left guard. Titus Howard's coming in to replace Chris Clark at right tackle. Their 2019 first-round pick. Zach Fulton's the right guard, and they have um, Nick Martin at center. I think Houston's offensive line's better than Pittsburgh's. But Pittsburgh has better receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, I cannot believe I ghosted Juju Smith-Schuster when breaking down the Pittsburgh-Denver game in depth. That was a horrible choice on my part. And Juju's in a contract year, too. So I think Juju's going to light it up this year. He may not be Antonio Brown, but I think he'll play like Antonio Brown just to get a big payday. And I and I think the reason the Steelers drafted him so they wouldn't have to deal with this Antonio Brown saga again. It's like Juju, if he comes in and he earns a contract extension, they Pittsburgh can leverage the situation in their favor and say, this is what you've earned. Take it or test free agency. And if Juju doesn't cooperate or do what Pittsburgh wants, they're just going to reload at receiver and go with Washington and Claypool and make their offense even more unpredictable and harder to game plan around. Because this is what Pittsburgh does. They constantly reload at receiver. And Juju was a guy who was once my top-ranked receiver in the 2017 NFL draft. So... 
And he's sort of taken over the endorsement deals that Antonio Brown had. And he's really... He even took a picture with a Patriots fan, even though he flipped the middle finger in the background. Just a all-around role model. Great community guy. And Antonio Brown started off the same way until he got the extension. So... What are we going to see once Juju gets the payday? Assuming Juju has a big year and gets Pittsburgh back to the playoffs, what are we going to see? are we going to see more of that from Juju once he gets his payday? Because Lynn Swan wanted the Steelers to draft this guy. He went to USC just like Juju, and he made a huge case for Juju Smith-Schuster. So, and Houston really doesn't have a number one corner. Jonathan Joseph's no longer on the team. They do have a bunch of corners, but they don't really have a true number one corner that can stop Juju. And that's why I think Pittsburgh's going to win. Because Pittsburgh just has just as much depth at receiver that the Texans do at corner. And I think the fact that they have a true number one in Juju, if Texans don't have that. Now, if Juju gets injured, it's fair game. If the Texans game plan against these receivers and they execute properly, then they can pull a surprise. But Juju would have to get injured in the first or second week of the season and miss some time in order for Pittsburgh to be affected because... They get Claypool, they get Washington, they've got a lot of players back, and Ben's the healthiest he's been since 2013. You, you also look at um, Ross Blacklock starting next to J.J. Watt, so Houston's going to have good five-technique guys, Pittsburgh's going to have two Eaton Hayward, as we mentioned yesterday. And without DeAndre Hopkins on the Texans, Joe Hayden's job just becomes a lot easier. And You've got corners like Steven Nelson, I think he's back with Pittsburgh, Unless they gave, unless he got a pay cut. I don't know what happened with Steven Nelson. He was the number two corner last year, but they had other guys like Cameron Sutton as a nickel, Justin Lane. They had lots of depth at cornerback. And I think Pittsburgh's in a situation where they are going to benefit from that once again, from that depth at the cornerback position. And they're going to be able to blanket players because the depth Pittsburgh had at corner, the quality edge rushers, the five technique guys, the inside linebackers, Outside of Terrell Edmonds, they probably had the most complete defense in the NFL outside the Patriots last year. I mean, their defense was keeping them in ball games, and they had a fourth-string quarterback starting in Devlin Hodges. So, Pittsburgh would be my pick to win that early game, but that's a big early game because Steelers could easily win that game. I think they have the advantage because the Texans don't have... Hopkins and the Steelers have Juju plus Claypool, and they just have enough targets. You got Connor in a contract here, Benny Snell Jr., just a lot of talent. I think Pittsburgh's overall talent, Jalen Samuels had a 100-yard game. I just think their depth and overall talent surpasses the Texans by leaps and bounds. I mean, no, don't take it personally, but Hopkins was a huge reason why the Texans were able to rally back and defeat the Bills. Next game is the Lions and Cardinals, and I'm going to be honest. The only reason we're talking about the Lions and Cardinals is because this game ended in a tie last year in Week 1. Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, the game ended in a freaking tie. And if these teams do what they need to do, they could both easily be 2-0 heading into Week 3. The Lions, they have a Week 1 home contest against the Bears, and then a Week 2 contest at the Green Bay Packers. So... That Packers game is going to be huge because if the Packers beat the Vikings in Minnesota and the Lions beat the Bears, the winner of that NFC game in Green Bay is going to control the NFC North division. 
and the Cardinals not having to worry about Debo Samuel week one, they have a greater chance of going into San Francisco and pulling the upset over the 49ers. I don't think they... I, I think Garoppolo's still a better quarterback than Kyler Murray, but, you know, Kyler Murray was able to keep up with him in the first meeting in Arizona on Thursday Night Football. And he's going to have two... Fitzgerald, Hopkins, Christian Kirk. I just love the variety of receivers that Kyler Murray's going to have, along with the depth at running back, the fact that the Cardinals were able to get Josh Jones, one of the guys... We spoke with in Mobile. Um, they got Isaiah Simmons. I just love the Cardinals draft. And I think what they can do against the 49ers without Debo Stanville and without Joe Staley in San Francisco, that's a really fun week one game. And if they can pull the upset in San Francisco, I think they can control this division for a good majority of the season because they get home games. They get a home game in week two, and then they get another home game in week three against the Lions. And I think that Lions home game is a very, very underrated contest that not a lot of people are talking about. The Lions got Desmond Trufant, a number one corner in free agency. They got another number one corner in the draft in Jeffrey Okuda. You got Omani Wari in the nickel. I mean, the Lions have the personnel at cornerback to match up with these Cardinal receivers. So Kyler Murray's decision-making is going to be paramount in this game because you have Romeo Aquara, you have Trey Flowers, you even got um, Julian O'Quar as a depth player behind those guys as a third edge rusher for depth. So that matchup between those teams just got a lot more exciting. And these teams ended the year in a tie last season. So for me, that's a very exciting matchup between the Cardinals and the Lions in Arizona. It ended in a tie last year. And to see how much Kyler Murray's grown since then with better talent around him, with the Lions having better talent as well when they're at full health, that is just going to be a fun game overall. Taylor Decker versus Taylor Jones. Taylor Decker's in a contract year at left tackle. Taylor Jones, Isaiah Simmons, what type of plays does he make? Deion Buchanan, and I don't know if Deion Buchanan's still in the Cardinals, but Hassan Reddick's starting to look like a bust, and he's going to be going up against... The two-back set, the Lions have Kieran Johnson and DeAndre Swift now, so I'm really excited to see how this matchup unfolds because Byron Murphy and Patrick Peterson's a good cornerback tandem, and the Lions have Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola on contract years. You have TJ Hawkinson as your starting tight end. I think this matchup, and the Cardinals' interior defensive line is stronger. The Lions have a good interior offensive line. This is just a fun matchup that looks like a chess match. And Patricia, I saw him give an interview at the Senior Bowl. Um, the Cardinals, they have an offensive-minded coach in Kingsbury who matches up well with Patricia. So I think this matchup, these coaches are familiar with each other. They've learned a lot since that's just a great matchup. And I think it's one of the underlooked matchups that – really not enough people in the media are talking about. They're downplaying the quality of that matchup because the Lions and Cardinals are known for their playoff droughts. They're not really big market teams. And it's a matchup that people are downplaying. Oops, I skipped a matchup. I apologize for that. The matchup I was supposed to talk about before this one was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Denver Broncos. That's actually going to be an afternoon game around the same time as the Lions-Cardinals. I don't know which game Fox is going to air. They might move Tampa Bay-Denver over to CBS simply because I could see Romo and Nance wanting to call that game, honestly. Because Vaughn Miller has always had Tom Brady's number in Denver. 
when Brady was with the Patriots. And now you get to see Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb go up against this Buccaneers, inexperienced Buccaneers offensive line. You've got Donovan Smith at left tackle, but you've got Tristan Wirfs at right tackle against Bradley Chubb. This is just a must-see matchup because Brady's receivers have the advantage over Denver's corners. Mike Evans, Godwin, just all the receivers they've had in years past, they have the advantage over Denver without um, Chris Harris. O.J. Howard, Cameron Brate, just a lot of depth. The depth on this team is unbelievable. The two tight end set, all the things Brady loved to do in New England, he could do those things. You've added Gronkowski to compliment Cameron Brate and O.J. Howard. So I think Tampa Bay... What they do in Denver, because Denver's only got two safeties, Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. They don't have th three safeties to stop these tight ends. So how Tom Brady goes into that Denver environment that's always had his number is going to be a fun game to watch. Just Drew Locke against that young, inexperienced Tampa Bay defense with Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hambler, Jerry Judy, the running game with all the running backs that Denver's had in the years. Melvin Gordon signed with Denver. They've got Lindsey and Royce Freeman. Um, Hannah, Noah Fant and Albert O are both going to be the top two tight ends on this depth chart. So just seeing what Drew Locke can do against a defense like Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay has Carlton Davis, the um, corner out of Auburn, who had 19 deflections as a sophomore, really asserted himself as the number one corner. And he was my favorite corner on Tampa Bay after the 2018 NFL Draft. He was my top-ranked corner in that draft, so Tampa, he asserted himself as the number one corner on that team, and you've got some very talented football players. Yeah, you don't have G Gerald McCoy on the Panthers anymore. He's on Dallas. I don't know what happened with Ndamukong Sue. I'm not sure if Tampa brought him back or not, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just have a lot of pieces, a lot working for them. Levante David, Devin White. They have some good pieces on the defensive side of the ball. And they have a lot of depth at safety. Whitehead, they have Jordan Evans. They got another... They're just... The Buccaneers have a lot of depth at safety. So, I mean, do not sleep on this team. Sean Bunting, Murphy from Central Michigan. They MJ Stewart, a lot of the corners they took in the second round. I think Locke can pick these guys apart. But can the Denver Broncos do enough to defeat to play spoiler and to defeat Tom Brady. Because Drew Locke, I think Locke was one of the quarterbacks that actually beat, I don't know if he played the Patriots and won, but I know that um, Locke beat Deshaun Watson in Houston, which is something Brady couldn't do last year. So this is a fun matchup because this is Locke's Denver's best quarterback since Peyton Manning was there. And he may not be the Hall of Famer or blue chip quarterback Manning was coming out of Tennessee coming out of Indianapolis before he signed with Denver at the back end of his career. But Elway did win a Super Bowl with Manning as his quarterback, as the GM, and he got to two Super Bowls, and they built the defense. So this is Denver's best team in a few years in terms of overall talent. Now, I still like to see some improvements in corner, but Tom Brady versus this Denver team, it's always fun to watch what Brady does in Denver. If you don't like Tom Brady, that's fun to watch. And Brady's just the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Why wouldn't you want to watch this game? So I've talked about that. I could, I'm could. i going to talk about Detroit-Arizona briefly. The teams ended in a tie. 
It's a fun game to watch. They ended in a tie in the 2019 season to start week one. Just watch the game. Sunday night football matchup in week three is the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints. And this is my favorite game of the week personally because this is probably the last time we're ever going to see Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, mano a mano. The Packers took Jordan Love in the first round. Brees is contemplating retirement after this year. This might be the very last Drew Brees-Aaron Rodgers matchup of all time between Rodgers and Brees. And week three in New Orleans, I think it's a great matchup. We're going to see, were the Packers really the second best team in the NFC? Because I felt like if the, four, if the Saints had beaten... If the Saints had beaten Minnesota, I think they would have gone into Green Bay and defeated the Packers. But the Packers have a chance to shut the Saints up because Aaron Rodgers was calling out Breeze on his comments. So the, Aaron Rodgers has a chance to make me eat my words and put the fact that the Packers were the second-best team in the NFC conversation to rest because I felt like if the Eagles were healthy and Carson Wentz wins that game or if the Saints had won, the Packers would have lost the divisional round. I felt like the Packers were a very, very overrated number two seed, and that showed in the NFC Championship. But this is a big game because the Packers have a tough first three weeks at Minnesota versus Detroit, at New Orleans. If they do not win the Detroit game in week two, you're potentially looking at an 0-3 team to start the year, and I don't think they can recover from that. And with the Saints, they get... They host the Buccaneers in Week 1. They travel to Las Vegas Allegiant Stadium in Week 2 on Monday Night Football. And then they come back to New Orleans on short week to face the Packers. Whereas the Packers get that entire week and that extra day to prepare for New Orleans. So they can even watch the Monday Night game at like a local Packer bar. And then they can go practice, prepare for that game. And with NFL Network re-airing the Monday Night games... They'll have multiple chances to watch that game, watch that film, and really get a feel for what New Orleans is doing. So that really puts the Packers in a more advantageous position, if you ask me. Because they'll have more film on the Saints than the Saints will have on the Packers. So they'll have the game film advantage. And I think that's something that a lot of people are downplaying. Okay, and the final game for Week 3 was my Week 3 game of the week last year, 2019. Chiefs at Ravens. Last year, the Ravens headed to Kansas City in Week 3 on a Sunday afternoon. This year, they're in Baltimore, and it's on Monday Night Football. But I think the NFL knows that the closest thing they're going to get to Mahomes, Brady versus Manning is Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson. And Mahomes has his first ring, Super Bowl ring. Lamar Jackson is trying to get his first ring. He got MVP, and it's Mahomes' career, Mahomes' second year in the NFL, gets the Chiefs the AFC Championship, number one seed, Madden cover. Lamar Jackson, MVP and Madden cover, just like Mahomes. And their careers are starting off on a similar path. And the, the Ravens won an AFC Championship simulation in Baltimore against the Chiefs. Honestly, I think the Chiefs and the Ravens are the two best teams in the NFL this year. And I really believe whoever wins this game is going to be in the driver's seat for not only home field, but potentially the Super Bowl, because with the 17 playoff, the number two seed no longer gets home field. I, I, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win, but if the Ravens get Jamal Adams, that'll flip-flop my pick to Baltimore just like that. Because I never really replaced Tony Jefferson, and I just don't trust Chris Clark or whoever's starting at strong safety. Even if the Ravens trust him, 
I don't trust that player. So I think that's a weakness, and they can upgrade that area in the draft. So there's a lot to look at because you got Watkins, you got Tyreek Hill. Watkins both played like number one receivers. Travis Kels. You have other players. The Chiefs have slot receiver Demarcus Robinson. You have McCole Hardman for depth. The Chiefs are a team that match up very well with the Ravens. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Damian Williams are going to be. They're going to have two running backs. The Ravens are going to have Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. This is just a fun game. The Ravens also drafted two starting linebackers that are rookies in Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. The Chiefs. This is just a great matchup. Chiefs have all 22 starters from last year's Super Bowl team back. Same offensive coordinator, same defensive coordinator back. So these. So that both teams have the same head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator back. And when you have that type of familiarity back, it's such a huge advantage because these coordinators, all these teams that hire new coaches and new offensive coordinators, they're going to have less t- time to prepare and have coaches meetings. They still have coaches meetings over Zoom and Skype, but they're not going to have as much time to actually interact with each other in person. And I think that actually does work against some of these teams to a degree. Whereas the Chiefs and Ravens are going to have their coaches back, they're going to have their players back, and they're both going to be in that driver's seat to control the AFC. And with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, it's basically the Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson show now. I know the Titans got lucky and made the AFC Championship. They're still a quality team. I think they can win the division, but... I don't think they're going to get have the spark they had or the luck they had this time around. I think they can win their division, though. But the Chiefs and the Ravens are going to be the two teams that control this conference. And it's going to be a fun season because the Ravens, they, get, they host the Browns in Week 1. They host the Chiefs in Week 3. They travel to Houston in Week 2. Baltimore is just one of these teams that has a lot of exposure. They have a lot of exposure in these first three weeks. And the Chiefs go to the Chargers in L.A. in Week 2. Then they go to the Ravens in Week 3. They host the they host the Texans in Week 1. And then they get two consecutive road games before they return to Arrowhead. So, And they're going to play an afternoon game on Sunday in the new Rams stadium against the Chargers. And then they're going to go to... Um, then they're going to have an extra day to prepare for the Baltimore game. And Baltimore will have that extra day, too, to prepare for the Chiefs. So... There's a lot to look forward to in that Chiefs-Ravens matchup. Prospect profile, I'm going to break down the number three pick in my NBA mock draft for the prospect profile segment, and then I'm going to go into MLB State of the Franchise, Toronto Blue Jays. That's the team that was requested by our fans. So, And after this, I'm going to probably work on the USHL 2020 USHL draft that happened on May 4th may the 4th be with you and I just kind of forgot about it put it off and I'm all, I'm finished with the first two rounds of my NHL mock I'm working on a three round NHL mock draft I just got the draft order reorganized this morning for round three prior to this show prior to the recording of this podcast so and coming up tomorrow on talk shoe the debut of NFL Draft Duels. Pro Football Network made this amazing app where we can do multiplayer, where Joey can pick for the Browns, I can pick for the Patriots, and we can find out which one of us outdrafted the other individual. I can post the picks on social media, fans can vote on which 
team had the better draft. And we're bringing draft duels to Anchor next Friday. Um, I've already talked with Brian Luis, who came on two weeks ago, and asked him if he'd be interested in doing a draft duel show on the day of the NHL draft lottery. And he's on board with that. So I'm probably we're probably going to do that. And the catch is we can only pick tw- can only pick teams that are in the running for the NHL lottery, which means the Lions, the Rams, the Chargers, and the Bills are the teams that we'd have to limit ourselves to. And then on a future show, Brian Luis could pick for his team, the Baltimore Ravens. So draft duels is coming to both Talk Shoe and Anchor. I promise you, we're going to have a lot of fun with draft duels. It's going to be our new thing on both networks. All right, so looking at this, you got the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have Denis Avigida. This is the player I mocked the Minnesota Timberwolves at number three overall. Do I think he's the third best player in the draft? No. I think um, the third best player in this draft is LaMelo Ball, easily. I mean, and since we're doing prospect profiles instead of the mock draft, LaMelo Ball it is. It's LaMelo Ball time. Yep, we're breaking down LaMelo Ball today. We're going to go in reverse order. Instead of breaking down Denis Abjida, the consensus number three player in my NBA mock, I'm going to go best player on the board, mix things up, and I'm going to break down LaMelo Ball, point guard for the Illawarra Hawks, the younger brother of Lonzo Ball. He's 6'8", 180, 17 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game, 7 assists per game. And the thing that stood out with Lonzo Ball is his shooting chart was all green. Like, red is bad. Yellow is inconsistent, but okay, and green is good. Like, his entire shooting chart from short-range, mid-range, and long-range was green. Like, money. His entire shooting chart was money. And that's one of the reasons why Ken LeBlanc, a good friend of mine who's who's, um, read our mock drafts, had him graded higher than the guy from Washington. I can't even remember his name. Washington had the number one pick, Markel Fultz. But yeah, it's like, that's one of the reasons why. And it's not just that. Great passer, unselfish teammate, great rebounder. LaMelo Ball's a better defender than Lonzo. And he also won the 2019-2020 NBL Rookie of the Year Award in Australia without going to college. And he also bought an ownership stake in the Illawarra Hawks. So he's going to use his money to buy the team in Australia. So he'll own his own basketball team, even if his NBA career doesn't pan out. And he can defend against one, two, three, fours, and fives. He's a better defender than Lonzo Ball was. And LaMelo was once a skinny kid that could barely defend growing up. Now he can defend really effectively. And Gary Parrish of CBS Sports did mock LaMelo Ball to Golden State at 18 at one point. So that's why I'm breaking down LaMelo Ball and the prospect profile series because today on State of the Franchise we're not covering an NBA team we're covering an MLB team and I felt like with the MLB draft just over it doesn't really feel right to dive in the prospect profile series with the MLB draft when we covered it as extensively as we did but the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be a fun team to talk about in State of the Franchise And they're a team that has a lot of pieces in place. They have a lot more in place than you realize. And looking at their team, right now they have two catchers, Danny Danson and Reese McGuire. 
Two quality catchers, Travis Shaw's their starting first baseman, making $4 million a year before he enters year three of his arbitration clause, assuming we have a season. Joe Panic and Kavon Biggio are second baseman. you got Brandon Drury and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base. Your shortstop is Bo Bichetti. Randall Grichuk's your starting left fielder. Lurels Guriel Jr. is your center fielder, but they're both interchangeable outfielders. You can put Grichuk at left field or center field, and you can do the same with Lourdes Guriel Jr. The weakness of this, the one weakness this team has outside of designated hitter, which they they can easily put Panic or Biggio or Guerrero at DH. With all the depth they have in their infield, they could easily move one of those guys to DH. But the one area this team needs to improve in, as far as the batter go, is right field. And they drafted Austin Martin at five, a guy who can play corner outfield or anywhere in the infield outside of catcher. So they can move Austin Martin to right field and solidify that final hole on their team. So even though I think Austin Martin's a natural position as third base, with the depth they have at third base with Brandon Drury and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I don't think Austin Martin's going to end up playing third base. And that right field spot is the one area he can come in and replace Derek Fisher easily. Derek Fisher had like a batting average of below one. He enters, he'll enter the trade clause year and the arbitration year. So that's why I think Toronto is going to be one of these teams that's set. Because they, once Austin Martin comes up, they're going to have all the batters they need to push a team like the Yankees and the Rays. And you look at the pitching they have. They have Hyunjin Ryu. He was a number one. He was a number two starter with the Dodgers, but he's going to come in. 20 million a year, number one starter. Tanner Rourke, I don't remember what team Tanner Rourke was on last year, but I think he's a good addition to the Blue Jays. Okay, Tanner Rourke was on the Athletics last year, getting 10 million a year. You get a slight pay raise, 12 million. You got Chase Anderson, Matt Shoemaker, and Trent Thornton as your starting pitchers. And Chase Anderson was with the Brewers last year, but the Blue Jays paid him a lot of money to come to Toronto. And then you got Matt Shoemaker on a one-year prove-it deal. And he was with Toronto last year, but he goes from being like the number one or number two starter in Toronto's rotation last year to the number four starter. And then you got Trent Thornton, the 26-year-old pitcher. And he entered his first year last year. And then you got Yenzi Diaz as a substitute starter. And you got some good pitching prospects in your system. You've got um, CJ Van Eck in this year's draft. And then you got, in the second round, got a lot of good pitchers. You got that outfielder from Louisville. And then you got T.J. Zook, who pitched five innings against the Yankees, five scoreless innings against the Yankees in his MLB debut. He had a no-hitter with the Durham Bulls in AAA. I had a T.J. Zook interview. This was back when most had him second-round grade on him, but we were lucky enough to get him on our podcast, and he just dominated that interview 25 minutes. He even had Joey's attention. And you also got Alec Manoa out of West Virginia. So you got the pit pitcher, the West Virginia pitcher, you got five starting pitchers. And these are young pitchers. Thornton and Shoemaker are. And then you got Ken Giles, your closer. You got Sean Yamaguchi, setup pitcher, Anthony Bass, 
Rafael Dallas, Sam Gavillo, Wilmer Font. So you have four middle relievers, and you need one long reliever. So you can bring Zook up and put him in that long reliever role, or you can move one of these guys from middle reliever to long reliever and then put Zuck in a middle reliever role. I mean, with all the... There's one spot in that bullpen that's open. So that's the thing. It's like you want your bullpen to have one closer, one setup guy, four middle relievers, and two long relievers. And I see one closer and six relief pitchers. Four plus two plus one is seven. It's not six. There's only six relief pitchers outside of their closer. So if you don't want to start Zook yet, I would just bring him up and pitch him out of the bullpen and let him earn that spot in the starting rotation. If he does well in the bullpen, you can bring him into the starting rotation as a substitute starter because Toronto only has six pitchers in their starting rotation. Usually you want to have five pitchers in your starting rotation, but you also want to have two substitute starters and eight other pitchers, the closer, the setup, the four middle relievers, and the two long relievers. So you want to have about 15 guys in your pitching rotation. That includes the seven starters and the eight bullpen guys. So, honestly, if you don't think Zook's got the ceiling to be a starter, bring him up and put him in this bullpen, because this bullpen does need one more arm. And I think this team, if we get an MLB season, they are ready to push um, the Yankees and the Rays. But... After we do, I think, a Brewers team preview or whatever team preview was commented on last week, I may temporarily suspend the uh, MLB state of the franchise because I just think the whole lockout situation, it just sucks. I kind of want to suspend the MLB stuff for state of the franchise and talk about other teams, but I want to try to be fair and objective with all the sports teams, you know? And that's the thing. In July, we're going to have other cool content coming up. Like, I've already announced that um, every pick of the Bantle Fantasy Football League draft, Jason Bantle, he's a writer at Draftytopia. He did the fantasy football rankings. He's our pick league pick'em champion last year. Led first panelist to ever lead from week one to week Super Bowl Sunday and still win the entire thing. First year that's ever happened. We've always had lead changes during the regular season. And Bantle led the entire season. Like a, like a marathon runner in a triathlon. Every week, the entire season. That's like the Dolphins going 17-0. That's really difficult to do. And I give Bannell all the credit in the world because Bannell's made the last two fantasy football league championships in his league, but Mitch has three-peated. Mitch has won this league three years in a row, and it's hard to three-peat in fantasy football. That's just impressive. And even when I first started in this league and went from 1-13 to 13-1, Mitch was still in the playoff hunt. He still had teams that were in that playoff hunt, maybe not necessarily your ideal teams or teams that you pick to win a championship or teams, but they were teams that were good enough to make the playoffs. Now he's just continued to reload, continue to make good selections. And with the other person that... Jimmy, who was one of the better fantasy players in the league, I mean, he won. The, he got to the championship two years in a row. I mean, he won a championship, and then he faced Bannel in another championship and lost the following year. So, I mean, Jimmy is one of the better players in the league, and it really sucked when 
he had to go. I mean, he had other things to do, like coaching and paying the bills, but there's no question the league took a hit when Jimmy Dickin left the league. There's no question the pit, the league took a hit. But we got Mark in the league now. Um, got this other person, this new person named George taking over from Garrett, and they're going to have the number one pick. So I am really excited to see what we could get here um, with this fantasy draft on July 1st, and I will have every pick announced. Like, if the draft starts on a Friday, we'll go through every pick in the fantasy draft in depth. And if any picks are made over the weekend, we're just going to open up the Monday show talking about fantasy football before we dive into the news. That's right. We're going to talk fantasy, and then we're going to go into the news, and then we're going to transition back into our regular topics. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that. And we're going to bring draft duels. Um, MLS soccer returns July 8th. So if there's updates on the tournament games, we'll have that for everybody here. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. My name is Chris Ransom. Enjoy your weekends. I'm signing off. So I just want you guys to enjoy your weekend because I'm going to enjoy mine. I'm going to get back to um, working on my uh, NHL mock draft, USHL draft grades before we go live on Talk Show tomorrow and we end up doing the draft duel segment. That is going to be a blast. And I'm bringing it to Anchor next week too.